Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. We just want to let you think on the thought here that throughout the ages, there have been countless songs composed, epic poems written, books penned, memoirs recorded, and in recent time, even movies produced that portray one man as the greatest hero of all. The best. Every young man grows up dreaming of the day that he will be a hero, and every young lady longs for the day that her hero will come to rescue her. <laughs> the damsel in distress. For many of our newly engaged couples, it's like this dream has come true even in our time, and we're praising God for it. Yeah, uh-huh, you know what it is. Because this morning, we'd like to talk to you about the ones who are so easily forgotten in these heroic stories. Like the ones who were there all along, fighting the same battles and enduring the same struggles. These characters, they often go unnoticed, and they find themselves behind the camera recording the great exploits of their esteemed character. Oh, think about that. Have you ever thought about the fact that a cameraman has to do all the same things that a hero does while he's carrying heavy equipment, while he's putting himself in the same difficult position in order to catch the right camera angle on the hero? Notice that he is not the one in focus. Instead, he focuses all of his attention and efforts on others. See, no one ever grows up wanting to be the cameraman, you know, like a suit and all, right? Big C in the middle, cameraman. <laughs> they want to be the hero at the center of every story. What we want you to focus on this morning is that as more honorable and esteemed in God's sight to be the cameraman, yeah. Yeah. much more so than to be the heroic center of every adventurous story. See, in a day and age when men want to have their name on the cover of the book, the title of the song, and the content of every single conversation, we're going to be men who make every effort so our brothers can advance ahead of us. Amen. We will be the cameramen working behind the scenes to record the great exploits of our brothers, and we will be the skilled writer composing the lyrics of their great heroic endeavors. This is what it means to be unsung heroes. Say that with us. Unsung, unsung heroes. That's the title of today's sermon. Let's take our first passage. This is Matthew 20, and you're going to want to find verse 20. And as you're turning there, say unsung heroes. Unsung heroes. Just so you know, we're going to be reading from the ESV. Oh, yeah. You guys in Matthew 20? says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. So here's mom with her two boys going to Jesus and saying, you getting this shot? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a very important question to you, king. But listen to the tone of Jesus speaking to her. What do you want? And what is her response? Say it. Say it. Say, you, you let it come out of your mouth that they will sit on the left and right of you in your kingdom. 
This is really every mom. My baby is the cutest. My baby is the best. He is perfect. And it's often not true. Especially whenever the mother believes that their baby's accolades require them to be entitled to every position, the best position. If you want to study further, go to 1 Kings chapter 1 and look at what Bathsheba did before Solomon for Adonijah. But we don't have time to get into that today. We're actually going to move on to verse 22. But we want you to get this picture of mom showing up to Jesus saying, let my sons be the best among who? Their brothers. So verse 22, Jesus answered. That's always a good start. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup? that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. So let's start with the beginning of Jesus' answer. He says, you really don't know. You don't understand what you're asking for in this. Well, let's dig into that. What exactly were they asking for? What was the motives of their hearts? What they're wanting to drink is something other than his cup. Because that's what was part of his reply. Drink from my cup. They're wanting the surety and promised heroic kingship without first understanding the price and goal of what kingship actually is. See, Jesus was checking their hearts. He was evaluating their current capacity to fulfill this request. In essence, you know what he was doing? He was giving them a cup check. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let it fill in your mind. Their reply to his pastoral challenge was, we are able. This is actually a false estimation of what it takes to become a hero alongside with the king. Come on, how many times have I done that? How many times have you done that? Lord, I want to do something great for your name, and I want to go to the furthest extent. I will drink of your cup. Yeah, but can you really right now? Eventually you will. Well, praise God we have a great shepherd of our souls that rightly helps us evaluate where we currently are, but promises where we will go. In essence, what's happening here inside of them, they're wanting to be a pseudo-savior, a mentality that really is an expression of a halfway hero mindset. See, Jesus promised that they would drink of the cup, but it wouldn't be his determination who gets to sit where on those thrones in a place of prominence. He's already promised them a seat on the throne. They're just asking for the ones closest to the place of greatness. They would be seated on one of the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, just as Matthew 19 says. But I want the best one. The best. I want the best of the 12. Yeah. They were missing something, though. They were missing the goal of why they would drink from the cup. They made it about their position in front of the camera. 
They made themselves the focus of it all. They were missing the unsung hero aspect of everything that the kingdom of God is really about and founded upon. So what does this mean for us? Our job as disciples of Jesus is to drink from the heroic cup of suffering and then pour out our all so that our brothers can experience the Lord breaking through for them and then focus on their seated position with Christ, not solely on our own. Come on, church, let's see how this continues to develop. Did you catch the fact of what Pastor just said? They had already been given and assigned thrones. The chapter before, Jesus says to them, you will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But that's not enough. We need to have a little bit more prestige in the most important seats ever in the history of mankind. We want to have even more than that. See, and what Jesus is speaking to is he's getting at the very heart of them, and he's getting at our hearts today as well. Look at verse 24. And when the ten heard it, you know the ten. And by the way, you realize it was their mother that said it, but then Jesus turns and addresses it with them. So really, was it mommy's request, or were they, like, complicit in this? And we're like, well, I mean, we didn't say it, but mom did. Mom said it. But what... But but now that the question has been asked, what's your answer, Jesus? I, I mean, I didn't say it myself, but that is exactly what I was thinking and feeling. So I'm glad that someone else got to ask it. Let's see what the answer is. But what about all the brothers around? Then the ten heard it. They were indignant at the two brothers. Yeah, of course they should yeah. be. But Jesus called them to him. Isn't that always the answer that we need? Jesus calls us to him. He said, no, come closer to me. He didn't reject the two, and he didn't get mad at the, the ten. He said, come to me because I'm about to show you something. You're trying to be the hero that's in the center focus. I'm going to show you and teach you how to be an unsung hero right here. Come close to me. And he said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their Great ones. Great ones. Everybody say great ones. Great ones. Their great ones exercise authority over them. Those who are in the center of the frame, the main costume. Here I am. I will lead you now. The Gentiles, the great ones, lorded over them. Verse 26. It shall not be so among you. Not it shouldn't be this way. What did Jesus say? It shall not be this way among my people. He drew them close to say, you cannot do that. You cannot look this way. You cannot think this way. You have to understand what I'm saying to you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love how Jesus called them to his side. I love that concept. He establishes for all the 12 disciples and everyone here today that the true goal of every believer has to be that you are unsung heroes. It must be that, to devote yourself fully by following Jesus' example, drinking of the same cup that he did, and driving your every action, your every thought, and your every emotion towards the goal of being the servant of all. There are countless unsung heroes 
that populate the pages of Scripture. I mean, we're going to go through some unsung heroes today in the Word. And you're all going to nod and shake your head, but I promise you, most of these people you don't know very much about. If you recognize their name, you probably couldn't tell us very much about what they did. Do you know why that's okay? Because they were actually unsung heroes. It's the point that we don't focus on them, but they're helping others to be great. And we have a pretty interesting one to start with, Pastor. Yeah. We're going to talk about Barzillai. So you're going to want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 19 and find verse 31. And before we get there, lest you think James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were just these despicable human beings, realize they had the same heart issue that many of you in this room have. Certainly the same heart issue that I had. But Jesus corrected them, and their brothers did not reject them. They got it right together. Go and read Acts 12 verse 2, and you'll find James was one of the first martyrs for Jesus. The one who was asking for, to be on his left and right certainly got to go to his side before most of his brothers, but it wasn't because he was trying to attain some level of status above them. He got it right from this point, and that led him to be killed, martyred for his king. And today we hope the same is for us, that we get this right so that we're not asking to be sung heroes in the limelight, the most popular, the most esteemed, but truly unsung heroes. Now, as we look at 2 Samuel 19 and 31, we're going to read the story of Barzillai. Now, Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Rogalim, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. Many of you are familiar with the name Barzillai because it's my son's name. Prior to meeting my son, you probably overlooked this man, Barzillai, in the scriptures. Even some of the most studied people, I'm like, hey, what's your son's? They ask me what my son's name is. I tell them Barzillai, and they're like, that's really neat. What does it mean? It means son of my iron, son of my strength. Cool. Where'd you get that? From the Bible. From a very unsung hero that many overlook. But while David was in his greatest time of need, running from Absalom because he was trying to dethrone his father, David was wandering around in the desert, and he came across this shepherd named Barzillai. Barzillai asked nothing of David, but took David and his men, took care of them, gave him exactly what he needed, and then sent David off to be king in Jerusalem. Now, at another time, if you want to smoke a cigar with me or just share a cup of water, I will talk to you about the only time in the scripture that David was with a shepherd having a meal prepared for him in the presence of his enemies, and that being Psalm 23, the most sung song, psalm I should say, in history, and the unsung hero behind Psalm 23 was probably the shepherd, Barzillai. That's a gem. I encourage you to take advantage of that offer and invitation. Verse 33. Bars. Bars. And the king said to Barzillai, come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, how many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? He declares then afterwards how old he is. He's 80. I can't discern what is pleasant or what is not. Your servant can't even taste 
what he eats or drinks. I can't even listen to the voice of singing men and singing women. Look, I'm getting old, man, but there is a plan. So when you're looking at Barzillai's life, you can begin to see what made him an unsung hero was that he provided shelter and protection for the Davidic king in his greatest time of need during that time of exile. Unsung heroes like Barzillai find their fulfillment in furthering the kingship of their brothers. Yeah. And they never feel entitled to flattery, recognition, or exaltation. Barzillai here is determined to stay behind the camera. And he cannot be persuaded to receive or gain glory for himself. To take in that limelight or be the center of attention, even from the Davidic king. In fact, Barzillai is such an unsung hero, he then goes on to advocate for his servant, Kimham, to have the honor of being joined to the king. It was no longer about his life and his glory. It was all about propelling the next generation in forward motion. Before we move on to the next verse, can we just engage with this passage since it's probably almost brand new to most people in the room? Maybe you've read it as you've gone through the word, but you've never really looked at it. Some of the commentaries about Barzillai say that he was, the reason he gave up all these things was because he was too old. I mean, he is giving his age here. I don't think this is it at all. And you're going to see it because if it was just about him, he would have refused it and not encouraged Kimham, his servant, to go forth in his stead. See, what he's saying here is, hey, I am listening. I can no longer listen to the voice of singing men and singing women. Perhaps Barzillai is saying, I don't need any praise. I don't want any attention. I actually don't want any repayment for what I've done for you, O great king. I know I housed you and all of your men. I know we fed you. I know we took care of you in a time of need. But I don't want, I don't need, I'm not asking for, and I will not receive the praise of men and women as it's sung into our ears. I would rather please my heavenly father, and that's it. See, that's the attitude. It's not because he was 80. Oh, I topped out in age, so now I'm done having to work to be an unsung hero. What he's saying is, is this is my heart, and he is in a discussion with David back and forth so that he can actually get only benefits from in the heavens. And look at the next verse. Please let your servant return. Barzillai speaking about himself. That I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. Look, I'm just going to go back home. I'm going to live out my days exactly as I've lived the days before them. But here is your servant, Kimham. Let him go over with my Lord, the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. Now, I want you to help. I want to help you get this. Barzillai is not saying, please bless Kimham with all that you intended to do for me. Please keep this about me even while I'm saying it's about someone else. Do for them. All the great things so I can really see what you would have done for me and get some type of satisfaction about it. He's saying, I'm going to give him to you. This man will be your servant. He'll actually work for you. He will actually serve and be a blessing to you. And you do whatever you seem right on his behalf. Not on my behalf, but on his behalf. Barzillai has faithfully served the king, especially in the most difficult of circumstances. And he's now asking the king, Not for any blessings, not for even any connection to himself, but only blessing Kimham, the servant, for the sake of that servant. 
Church, that is an unsung hero in Barzillai if you've ever seen one. He's giving away a treasured member of his own household to the king. And the king is just trying to bless him, and he keeps refusing blessings from the king. They keep going back and forth. Hey, I'm going to bless you. No, I don't want it. Okay, I'll give you my servant. Okay, then let's see what happens next in David and his response of the back and forth. Verse 38, and the king answered, Kimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you, and all that you desire of me I will do for you. So here King David flips the script. He echoes what Barzillai just said to him, except it is now the king promising to bless Kimham because of the faithfulness of Barzillai. Don't forget that this is Barzillai speaking to the king of Israel, and he doesn't really seem to care because he is so concerned with Adonai's glory and David becoming king and going further than him. So what did Barzillai get in this whole deal? A kiss and a blessing. Even at the end of the day, when the king of Israel was trying to bless him because of the kindness that Barzillai showed, he deflected and said, you even get to take my servant and he will do, you can do to him whatever seems good to you. He is, he is your servant. And King David turns and he says, oh, okay, I see how it's going to be. I will take your servant, but I'm going to do for him what would seem good to you for your benefit and for his. Man, this is the right kind of battle that men of God should be fighting. And we find this attitude in an unsung hero that people often look over named Barzillai, and I'm so blessed by his story. Look, as David's kingship continued to expand, so did the number of unfamiliar mighty men that joined him. So let's turn a few chapters over to 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to pick up in verse 18 and say, unsung heroes, you turn. Get them names. heroes. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jareh-Oragim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So when looking at the names that we covered of these mighty men who struck down giants in this passage, has anyone done a sick scripture string about them and their lives and the spiritual meetings of them? No. Are you intimately familiar with these men? These men were unsung heroes because they partook of the same fate as their king. They valiantly faced Rephaim just as they saw that their king did as well. In fact, these verses prior to verse 18 details David taking on a giant named Ishbibanov and was nearly killed if Abishai had not come to his aid and put that giant down and to rest. So none of these men were glory hounds seeking the limelight of fame. 
They were unsung heroes because their heart and actions were fully committed to their covenant with their king and expressing with action the willing to die for him. What we're hoping that you get today is not uh, the next round of your Bible trivia game, but that you understand that these men were giant killers. They were king rescuers. They were men who put down giants in the land, and their names are attested to in the Bible, but we just don't know about them because of their unsung hero nature. See, if you're one of these mighty men, and you were even the one that saved King David from his deadly peril, wouldn't you just want a little itsy-bitsy, just teeny amount of praise for doing that? I mean, after all, you did save the king. I mean, uh, not, maybe not praise, maybe acknowledgement. I'm just looking for some acknowledgement. I mean, you single-handedly conquered giants. You uh, Han soloed salvation to the king himself. Perhaps you could uh, just kneel before him and maybe ask him for, you know, a little something like a throne on his left or on his right. I mean, just, just a little something. I'm just looking for acknowledgement here, people. See, unsung heroes are never the ones who are looking for acknowledgement. David's next action in the very next verse tells us exactly how he, David, responded to the actions of these mighty men who just put to death giants. Look at 2 Samuel 22 and verse 1. It says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Can I just bless you guys with something that we discovered yesterday and hit us during our study time? David is here writing a song, but he's not actually writing a song for any of us. He is speaking directly to the Lord. 2 Samuel 22 might be one of the most used passages in our church. 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 are parallel passages. It's the same song. 2 Samuel 22 and in Psalm 18. They're they're telling of the great exploits. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. Later on, it's talking about who is a rock except our God. And he'll make my feet like the feet of deer and, and cause me to go up on the heights. He trains my hands for war. These are all statements that are in this psalm. But you know who David wrote the psalm for? He wrote it for God. He was just speaking to the Lord about the salvation. What had been birthed from these men saving his life from giants? What had been birthed from men actually going to war? Is David just said, I now glorify the Lord. He didn't even glorify the men and the soldiers who had done it because they were unsung heroes. The context of this is beautiful. It's designed, this entire chapter, is designed to be a personal reflection, a prayer, a song of praise because of what the Lord had done for David. All of the goodness of the Lord. Has anybody ever read this chapter before? Has anybody been blessed by this chapter before? Has anybody ever shared this chapter and words and phrases from this chapter before? It's because it came from a personal interaction with David and his heavenly father. See, this was only done to bring glory to the Lord. Only about the Lord and his deliverance. That's what the right kind of unsung hero does, is he calls all the glory to go to the Lord. There's not one bit of it that's designed to go to him. It is all going to the Lord. He's never doing it to be seen, never doing it to receive glory, never doing it to obtain personal benefit. Church, that we might live 
not in our words, but in our actions, that 100% of the glory goes to God. See, nobody in this room, if you're a genuine believer at all, is going to disagree with that. But you have to start being honest with yourselves about what it really looks like to try to get glory. I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it close enough to Pastor Peyton that he might give me some approval about what I just said. I mean, I mean, I only want the approval of the Lord and for Pastor Nick to be able to confirm that what I just said was a good word. I mean, I really just, oh, man, I just want to give all that I have. I want to die for the Lord. I want to be an unsung hero, but I want to make sure that you guys see me as I'm doing it first. Okay, I guess it's just me then. I guess it's just me that's positioned myself to make sure that the right person that I actually wanted to get glory from heard, saw, or felt what I did because I needed their approval, all while saying, it all goes to God, all the glory to the Lord. But needing, wanting, feeling a lack, how do I know that I was wanting that? Because if somebody didn't approve of me, I felt like I, was, I did a horrible job. No one saw me. No one said that was a good sermon. No one said that I did a good job. <sighs> that shows me that I, I'm talking about me. My own heart was seeking glory, approval, reward, affection, all while saying that 100% of glory was going to God. See, David is showing us a perfect heart here. We're blessed by his words, but that wasn't even his goal. He was trying to bless Adonai with these words and be thankful. The very next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 23, just look in your, on, on that page, on the next page in your Bible. Look at verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. Somebody say last words. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Do you know why he was the sweet psalmist of Israel? It wasn't because of how many volumes of songs he wrote. It wasn't because his tunes were catchier than the other psalm writers in Israel. It's because he was a man who knew what it was like to even as king work to be an unsung hero and cause others to be great. And to only give glory to God for the great things that God had done. David's heart was set on making others great. He was set on raising up generations of those who will do what he did. Not only kill giants, but have men who understand what it's like to drive every thought, every action, every emotion towards being an unsung hero and trusting our God that he sees it and he will reward us rightly. Amen. Church, I love that 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 are mirrors of each other. They're the same song. I've spent 31 years of my life believing that that psalm was written so I could read it and apply myself to it. What Pastor Wade is sharing with you is such a gem because I have never seen it. The song was written solely, explicitly, to and only for Adonai. That's what made David such a special man. God saw fit that the world would read that and engage with him the way that David did. If you're still in your Bible, which you should be, Go to Psalm 116, and we're going to make a couple other connections that are just 
beautiful and completely new to us. Psalm 16, 116, we're going to pick up in verse 1. Are you guys there? Okay. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now, commentaries are not sure or certain on who authored 116 or at what time frame it was written. It's assumed it was David. So within David's life, they don't know at which season Psalm 116 was written. I have my opinions, and I'm pretty strong, strongly attached to them. But notice that this psalm, it starts with, I love the Lord. The only other psalm that starts with that phrase is Psalm 18. Or 2 Samuel 22 that Pastor Wade just read. So let's connect the dots. The songs that we are reading about were, one, written to the Lord, and only the Lord. Two, they were written in response to great battles that the Lord delivered the brotherhood through. You see, David was not a man who danced to the beat of his own drum. David didn't even follow the beat of his own heartbeat because he was a man after God's heart and God's heart alone. Man, I love how David wanted to be an unsung hero. But because of that, Adonai chose to make his name great throughout history. That's not something David reached at, trying to find some kind of status among men of history. He humbled himself before God, and God exalted him, and that's why we esteem him today. But if you look into the scriptures, you see that he was not trying to impress us with his great exploits. Even the greatest songs that he wrote were solely to the Lord. And I also find it amazing that the man who is talked about the most also wrote the most songs, and they were not about him. They were about his king. Let's hop down a few verses and pick up in verse 12 of Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So remember that it is likely that this psalm was written after a great battle where David and his men had to lock arms to defeat the enemies of Israel. David is often in the forefront of our minds when we read these stories. His name is the one we look for when we scan the pages. We tend to attribute all success to David while forgetting that the unsung heroes were by his side the entire time. None of them were looking to have the song declaring their own greatness. All of them were looking to make Adonai's name great and give him 100% of the glory. Our hope is that your heart is moved with these unsung heroes that you have previously looked over in the text. Our goal is to inspire you to become more and more like them as you daily lay down your lives to make each other's great and into kings. What this will cause is a beautiful song to rise from this brotherhood that is not about our own greatness, but it is 100% solely about the glory of Adonai. 100% about the glory of Adonai. We're trying to get you and get your heart to understand something today so that your actions will follow right there with it. 
These cannot be just things that we talk about. We actually have to be seeking to become the unsung hero. Seeking to be the one that's not noticed. Seeking to be the one that is only working for others' glory. And in the process, God takes care of us, but that's not the point. We're not even doing it to get something. I just want to help you to get this point before we move on into the Newer Testament here. Has anybody ever been stressed to give a word to one of your people in your team? Yes. Why are you stressed to give them a word? Because I want to look good. I want it to be life-changing. Do you know what it's like in our pastor's elders meeting? These are the best men that I've ever seen in my life. They're the most prophetic, anointed men that I've ever even been around. And I'm going to get it ready for a word. And if I'm not careful, it's okay that we're just being real with you here today. If I'm not careful, I'm worried about whether my word is good enough. But I'm not thinking about whether it's going to be a blessing to Pastor Nick or be a, a, a treasure for Pastor Eric that it will encourage him. What am I thinking about? What it makes me look like if the word isn't developed enough, isn't flashy enough, isn't fancy enough, isn't deep and spiritual enough. It's not this, you alone, brother. This is us. It's a tough way to get to a spiritual word worrying about yourself. I'll be honest, here's some of my prayers that God has corrected in me, and I am, I am working on them every day to never say these prayers again. Lord, it's Pastor Judah's week. I need a word for Pastor Judah. Lord, would you give me, would you, me, Lord, me, I need a word. I need a word for Judah. Some of you aren't even catching that I'm, that's wrong. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Everyone's like, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I need a word for Judah. Judah's not even in, really in the picture. He's the periphery. The real issue I have is me. How about our prayers start being, Lord, I love Judah Stevens. What a man of God, Lord. Bless him. Encourage him. What is your heart about him, Lord? What about him? What about his family? What about what he needs? Only. And you know what happens when you start genuinely praying for somebody like that? You get such revelation into what they need. Because you're now having the same heart as your king. And you know what God feels about them. <laughs> we are becoming a group of unsung heroes. We're becoming a group who longs to be the ones that aren't on the stage, don't have the microphone in hand, aren't being the ones noticed, never need to be chosen because we're just operating on the good of others. See, this band of unsung heroes that we've been talking about is stretched through the ages from Genesis to Revelation. Man, you want to get yourself a really, really good read through the Bible? Start in Genesis and pick the names that you're not familiar with. Yeah. Pick the servant of Rebekah named Deborah. Pick Eleazar, the servant of Abraham. Pick some of these other people and see what an amazing role that they play and have their name in Scripture, by the way, but we never even think of. It continued from the time of David through the first century and is still going today. We're going to take a quick pit stop at a first century church in Turkey. We want you to turn in your actual Bible to Colossians chapter 4, even while we have a slide prepared for you, but you're going to have it in your Bible right there in your lap. 
the context of Colossians 4, for what we're using it as today, is a group of unsung heroes. You ready for it? We're going to read it together. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that, we, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you ev of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning you, whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, not that one, the one who is called Justice. <laughs> These are the holy men of the circumcision. <laughs> the holy men of the circumcision along... Uh, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas." Man, what an incredible list of unsung heroes. I mean, you might even recognize some of these names, but if you were like most people in the, in the Christianity, you're not even have any idea of what these men have accomplished, which just proves that they're, in fact, unsung. That's kind of the point. Yeah. We have another slide for you to help you gain an appreciation for what it is that God is really after each of us today. Look at this slide. It's funny, these are unsung heroes, so I'm going to do my best to pronounce their names. Let's start with our first one from Colossians 4. Tychicus, or Tychicus, he was a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a trusted messenger. I have to ask myself if I can even apply those to my name. Yet the Holy Writ has recorded him for all of history as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a trusted messenger. He shows up in Acts 20, Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, and Titus 3. And for most of my life, I've just read over his name. Let's take Onesimus, or Onesimus. <laughs> we got into a long discussion about onesies after we were studying this. It was Our, our study times, if you ever think that they're boring, you're wrong. They're, they're quite colorful. But Onesimus, he was a beloved brother, called faithful and a son to Paul, and useful. He's found in Colossians 4 and Philemon 10. Most of us know him from Philemon. Paul called him a child. He called him his son. He was a beloved brother among the churches. And Aristarchus, said to be a fellow prisoner. I never knew that. So while Paul's being shipwrecked, while Paul's in prison, Paul is not alone, and he's not just with Luke, he's with Aristarchus. In Ephesus, when they're dragged into the arena, Aristarchus is there with him. You can find him in Acts 19, Acts 20, and Colossians 4, of course. And Mark, John Mark, cousin of Barnabas, it says he was welcomed, useful in ministry, 
the son of the apostle Peter. So Onesimus is called the son of Paul. Peter says his son is John Mark. And you can find him in these passages with Acts 12 and so on. We'll, we'll encourage you to go ahead and look at this slide and go back and study these unsung heroes and just read through the scripture. And what you'll see is you're like, oh, yes, I know. I know what Colossians 4 says. Oh, I love Acts 20. Well, you love one or two verses of Acts 20, but you've missed the unsung heroes that are, are listed in a list on the page. In five, we have justice, where in other places he's called Tidius, which just made me laugh. He was a Jew, a fellow worker, and a comfort to the saints. Epaphras, he's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, a fellow prisoner, faithful minister, struggling in prayer for your maturity and for you to be fully assured in God's will. This was a hero who was ministering the word of God, and most of the time we read right over his name, but he was right alongside the apostles that we esteem so much. And then, of course, Luke, the beloved physician, the only one with Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I just want to point out something to you on the screen before Pastor continues on. Everyone knows Luke, right? Luke's name is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Did you understand that Tychicus is named, his name is listed twice as many times as, as Luke? See, these are things that we have to, we're, gonna, we're just helping you change your perspective today. Yeah. So Luke was a beloved physician and a faithful companion on Paul's journeys. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. He was not only the scribe who recorded Paul's great conversion in Acts 9, but also joined Paul on his missionary journeys and was even shipwrecked with him. Think about this. Paul is considered the greatest apostle, at least in my mind. When I read the scripture, I'm like, wow, Paul is a man that I want to be like. Did you ever consider that Luke may be just as gritty and manly of a man of God? But Paul didn't have the pen. Luke had the pen, and so whose name gets written? Paul's name. Paul did these great things. Paul endured this. Paul did this. I have the pen, and I refuse to give myself the glory. Like Pastor Wade told you, his name is only mentioned three times in the Scripture by who? The same person, Paul. When Paul got to write a letter, he's like, Luke did this. Luke was with me. I cannot do this without Luke, but Luke got to write quite a bit about Paul's life. And he made Paul the greatest, most kingly-looking man of God that he could. And he did such a good job. This is what we want as a body when we are talking about each other, when we're talking about the brotherhood, when we're talking about a rising church or remnant or King's Harvest or One Light or Peru. When we're talking about our brothers, what is recorded in history is not our name and how we made them great, but how they are great and Adonai is sustaining them. Look, we are all going to become great cameramen like our brother Luke. Yeah. So Luke had a very masterful, proper use of pronouns. Something we need in our day and time. In his writing of the book of Acts, there is a distinctive change in Luke's use of pronouns. So for the first 15 chapters, 
The only time the pronoun we is used is when Luke is quoting someone else, but never from a first-person narrative in those first 15 chapters. In Acts chapter 16, there is a prominent and clear change of pronouns that shows we, meaning Luke along with Paul and others, and is used from that point in Acts 16 forward. So turn with us to Acts chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse 7 to get a run and start into these pronouns. Yeah, say unsung heroes as you turn. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So in this passage, you can clearly see the transition when Luke is writing about Paul's travels that do not include him. And there in verse 7, it declares when they had come up to Mysia. This stark transition occurs in verse 10 when he says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. And from that point forward, it is that plurality with Luke being included into it. And the other, the other side caveat is that, obviously, Luke is in Troas with Paul. That's where all this is being converged at. And Paul's journeys and hardships are including Paul from that point forward. So I'll say it again. We are going to become, like Luke, the ideal cameraman. I'm talking about whether it is being chained in the prison or rocking to and fro on a ship that is about to crash. We're going to hold that camera steady on exalting the name of our God and keeping our brothers in focus. If there is anyone that we need to seek to become second to Jesus, it is like our brother Luke. Yeah. He didn't seek to make a name for himself. But he sought to make his brother the hero of every story. His confidence was found in knowing that he would eternally be remembered by God while he would be unseen by men in his lifetime. Yeah. This made Luke an unsung hero in God's eyes and also in ours. Come on yeah. now. Church, I got a question for you this morning. What will you be remembered by when you stand before God? See, the answer to that question completely depends on how much of an unsung hero that you have been dedicated to being. Your ability to look and help others only. Not that you are putting yourself in difficulty knowing that there's a reward. Hey, if you run through that door and knock the door off the hinges, there's a great reward on the other side. I'll do it. Oh, it's going to hurt, but oh, okay, great. Oh, you mean I got to think about other people because there's a reward? No. You're being an unsung hero for others to be the center of the story, to, to, for them to get where they need to go because it is right and it is what God desires of you, period. No acknowledgement. No praise. 
no glory of your own because when you do that, you're stealing it from him and he won't have it. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Say unsung hero as you're turning there. Unsung hero. Verse 1 says, Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Okay, so let's go through this. Let's just engage with the scripture just for a second. Beware. Everybody say beware. beware. That means you need to pay attention to this because there is a caution that Jesus Christ himself is giving to his people. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Now, you're supposed to be practicing, doing, exercising your righteousness. He says when you do it before other people in order to be seen by them. When you are doing your deeds of righteousness to be seen, then, let's go on to the next phrase, for then, somebody say then. then. The moment that you are doing something to be seen by others, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You know how I was talking earlier and you were all nodding and shaking your head as I was saying those things? You know what I could have listed that as? A list of things that Wade Sutherland will not get a reward from in heaven. Because I did it to be seen by someone else. Then, the problem isn't with practicing your deeds of righteousness. The problem isn't even you doing it in front of other people. The problem is when you are doing it to be seen by those other people. Then, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. A Facebook montage is all about you doing your deeds so that others are seen. Then, post, then, sent, then, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, <laughs> when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Do not announce yourself with trumpets. Do not change if we had a metal offering box and you decide you're going to give change in the offering box to make sure that you hear the money go in. Don't sound that kind of trumpet. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Did you see here the locations that we're talking about? Yep. It happens in the house of God and it happens outside of this. Because it's in the hearts of men and the men are going in these places. That they may be praised by others. Sing my praises, baby. Come on. Come on, say it. Say it that I did a good job. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Oh, you get a reward, all right. You just got it. Every like that you get on the Facebook post, that's your reward. The end. No eternal reward. Nothing that pleases the king, but you got your reward. That pat on the back that you were so much desiring, man, good job. There's your reward. The end. Nothing eternal about it. Pastor, did you say Insta-praise? I mean Instagram? <laughs> yeah. Just, just keeping our memories and make sure that you see all the good ones that we post. Verse 3. Yeah. Yeah. How are we at the center of every one of those pictures? 
That's right. It's the only way the filter works. Amen. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. secret. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you, but that's not even why you're doing it. You're doing it because you want to please your father. The expectation is to give to the needy, but truly unsung heroes only give in secret so that their reward is from the Father and not found in the praise and adulation of men. You've got to live to be remembered only by the Lord and not by men. That has to be our goal. And everything in our society, from social media to just the way that we live, is demanding that people notice us. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And we've never been a society more unhappy with who we are. We've never been less fulfilled as we start looking. Look at me. You're not looking at me enough. You're not praising me enough. It is an insatiable thing that goes on. And now that you're looking at me, I don't like how you're looking at me. That's right. right. Church, we have to crucify our ambitions to sing our own praises. Or allow other men to do it for us. I didn't say it. I mean, I was just self-deprecating in my speech so that you would stop and say how good I was, not how bad I was. I mean, I didn't say it. Okay. (laughs) That's right. Self-cameraman. We're going to make it our highest aim in this church. Somebody say, it's my highest aim. It's my highest aim. To be an unsung hero. Would you be surprised to know that unsung heroes don't stop after you've finished your course and run your race? Do you know that in the kingdom of God, this principle of unsung hero doesn't even stop in this world? It goes on into the kingdom that is to come? How about you turn with this to Revelation chapter 6? Whoa. If this is something that continues into the millennial reign and into eternity. This idea of being an unsung hero, wouldn't it make sense to begin getting it right now? Revelation 6, and we're going to start in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those, those unsung heroes, who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out, they, unsung heroes. They cried out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Where is the great man of God in Revelation 6? Where is the one who is up on the stage, who's made the greatest sacrifice, and his name is remembered? You don't find it. It says they were waiting under the altar. They were waiting for their brothers, their servants. The unsung heroes are gathered together to wait for the arrival of their brothers. 
This is both what is happening for us. There is a great cloud of unsung heroes that is watching over our lives, and they are waiting for our entry into the millennial reign. We need to live in such a way that we are always waiting for the generation after us, those brothers after us, to come in and join the chorus of unsung heroes. Now, you notice we don't know their names, where they came from. All we know is that they did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. That's what we know about them. The sovereign Lord will reward with white garments and eternal rest to all of those who refuse to receive their reward in this life. If you refuse rewards now, the Lord will pour it out on you in his own timing. But the moment you receive praise and have songs written about you and your greatness, you've received your reward in full. In light of that, we have some questions for you. Are you willing to run your race without recognition from men? Are you willing to lay down your lives for your brothers so that they may become kings, even if you are forgotten in all of history and no one ever knows your name? Are your songs written or your prayers spoken solely to the Lord for his glory? Or do you still keep a record of your own great deeds in your back pocket in the hopes that one day someone may notice? For example, you give a word freely to a brother that unveils or helps him connect some dots in his calling. And you hear him teaching on how God has revealed his calling to him. And you're sitting there wait, waiting. He's reading the scripture I gave him. Man, I really hope he t- says my name, how I helped him. Yeah, I know. I've, I've done it. We, we spent hours yesterday just talking about the ways that, man, this is still such a part of our lives. And even though I know the right things to say and might even have 70% of the actions right of being an unsung hero, I still keep that 30% of, well, 10 years from now, I'll be able to pull out this revelation and say, I'm so glad that you saw that in the word. I've known this for 15 years. Or for me, much less, seven years or five years. But these are things that I believe the Lord is showing us so we can address them and truly, truly be unsung heroes so we are looking forward to the reward he will give us. So whether men are praising you or you are praising yourself, every man needs to come to grips with his own sinful pride and the ways in which they want to be esteemed by others. The way that we want to be esteemed heroes so they can know, so we can know if our ambitions are purely for the Lord's glory or if it's a mixture of the Lord's glory and a little bit of my own heroism. When we say giving 100% of the glory to the Lord, we, we mean 100%. And it was, it was almost like a revelation to us when we were talking yesterday because we were like, I want to give 100% of the glory to the Lord. Yes. I can say the sentence in 100%. I can put all the letters in the sentence and speak it. But how I live that, I still want to keep like 1%. Like like this sermon, for example. I want to keep more than 1%, truthfully. Yeah, yeah, maybe for me, definitely more than 1%. But let's just kind of drop the, the script here. I'm preaching a sermon. I want this to be something that is moving and there's times where, like, I want it to be, I want to be recognized. Like, oh, that changed my life. But we have to grow and become mature where we can preach the word of God without any hopes or expectation of recognition. 
We're not saying try to hide from being bold. We're not saying hide from proclaiming the gospel. It's just what is motivating your speech, what is motivating your ministry is his glory and your brother's greatness and nothing else. If you received nothing in this life, you've already determined that's what you want. And you don't have to become a, oh, don't praise me, brother. Like, uh, Wade will show you what we mean, where you put a stop and then you beckon it in. Like, stop, 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 stop. What is going to cure this is when we mature in this attitude. And we may not walk out of this room perfect at it, but we're introducing the concept. We're, We're talking about it so we can ask the Lord to help us grow so that our names might be forgotten, but our sons and daughters might be remembered. Amen. So that our brothers might go on to greatness and assume their kingship, and we stay in our homeland and we die of a ripe old age. This is, this is truly what I want, but my carnal flesh desires to be a little bit better. Like, we may all have thrones, but I want to be like the special throne. And the Lord's showing us this so that we can... Uh, get it out of our lives so we don't have to posture and we don't have to try to perform to become the best. But in light of that, you know what it's always a good time for? It's always a good time for a proverb. <laughs> Turn to Proverbs chapter 27. I digress. Isn't it good that the Lord purifies our heart of motives that rob him of glory? Proverbs 27, verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. So let's put this together. What you are praising is an exact reflection of what is truly in your heart. When you are only seeking the praise of man, not only is it unsatiable, but did you see the connection that it has with death itself, with Sheol and Abaddon? It's all-consuming and wanting more in greater fashion. The point of this proverb is, is to direct our strength to have the character that is able to stand with integrity, rejecting pursuit of praise only to obtain the eternal praise that comes from God himself. But let's put this into reality of life and how this happens. This not only applies to the outward solicitation of praise, but it more so applies to your heart's First reaction when praise is given to you. What's that hand motion again that you you showed? Oh, no, stop, stop, stop. You're sitting and waiting for your name to be recognized. Something to be credited to your account by the mouth of men. Somebody to just say it. That is death. It's insatiable. No matter how much you get, it will never satisfy your own state of insecurity. You know what does satisfy? Being able to lift up your head to heaven with zero recognition from men and your father looked down at you and he's the one that says, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
See, when you're looking for the solicitation of the praise of man inwardly and outwardly, what you're really doing is that you're looking to build with wood, hay, and stubble. But what we're going to get is gold, silver, and precious stones. So a perfect example of brothers that are fighting for each other's greatness is that of John the Baptist and Jesus the Nazarene. Turn with us to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. Say unsung hero as you're turning. It says this. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, that's an interesting phrase. I think that pretty much catches everybody. Do not get confused in our trans world. Everyone is born of an actual woman. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Immerser. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. See, John the Immerser was not looking to sing his own song of greatness. He came only to call out and sing the praise of his Lord. We've been reading John 3.30 many times over the past few weeks. He must increase and I must decrease. See, what John did is he made this kind of attitude and made John into an unsung hero. And he didn't just say it. That's the thing about John. He didn't just say it. He must increase and I must decrease, all the while trying to promote himself. He actually lived it in his every thought, action, and emotion. Because John never sang his own praises, but only exalted the righteous deeds of the Messiah. Jesus himself was able to freely sing the praises of John. See, that's not what John was looking for, but it allowed Jesus to say, out of everyone born of a woman, this man is the greatest that has been born. Why? Because he lived to decrease himself. See, we all admire John the Immerser. And most places that we go, there are so very few that want to live like him. But in this house, we are raising up an entire body of people who want to live like that. Let the Lord increase. Let my brothers increase. I will continue to decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease because by doing so in the kingdom of God, it allows his presence to be seen in me, and that's what makes me mighty in a special kind of way. As great as John was, Jesus Christ says, this is how you are all going to become unsung heroes. You are all going to be the least. You're working. You're, fight, you're fighting. There's a violence and a, and a forcefulness. You remember in Matthew 6, Jesus was saying, beware. You've got to work at this. You've got to strive at this. You've got to actually, by forcefulness, by violence, take this kind of an attitude by force because that is what he's doing. Do you love the interaction between John and Jesus? Yeah. Man, that is a beautiful brotherhood where you are fighting to proclaim the greatness of your brothers. Think about the unsung hero nature of John the Baptist. He worked about six months and then got his head cut off for Jesus. But Jesus wasn't going to let him stay there. Jesus took a spear for him. He took on the sins of the world. We're going to be men who will take a spear for each other. 
We're going to be men who will take a sword to the head for each other. We're certainly willing to take any persecution, any amount of suffering, any martyrdom for our king. But it may be that our first opportunity is to die for our brothers, and we can do that daily. We're going to go to our last passage, and it's going to be Hebrews 11. We're familiar with the Hebrew Hall of Faith. These are men that we want to emulate because they violently, forcefully lived in a way that we've been speaking about. But we found something special that we have never seen about these unsung heroes in Hebrews 11. And we want to share that with you now. You know that Hebrews 11 goes on, to, it talks about faith, and then it goes on to name these very, very violent, forceful, powerful men of God. But there's some more in the text that you may have read over in the past. So I want you to find in your Bible, Hebrews 11:35. 35. 35. Women. Plural. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Some unnamed heroes who did not love their lives or shrink back for de from death, but their testimony proved true as they died for the king of kings. They refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 36, others, others, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. He's not saying others flippantly, like, oh, some people may have done some things difficult for Christ. No, it says that they went through mocking and flogging, having flesh ripped off their bones and suffered imprisonment and suffered chains. Not at a bad 12-hour day of work, but maybe months and years of sitting in a cell because of their faith. These are unsung heroes. Amen. 37, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword, and we don't even know their name. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Real men and women of faith. True unsung heroes. Of whom the world was not worthy. Not even worthy of knowing their names because Adonai has claimed and said their names are mine. And their reward is with me and I will pour it out. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. So we want to ask you, what do you want to be remembered by when you stand before God? Today can be a day that your expectation can change. Today, you can take your crowns that you have kept for your own glory and willingly lay them at the feet of Jesus. Look, we're not asking you to be transformed in the way that you feel about these things. We're leading you to be transformed in the way that you act upon these things. We're aiming you to be the ones that are helping others become great but are not, are not considering to be made praised about in yep. your own greatness. You should make it your highest aim to be an unsung hero. You should live to be only remembered by God and not by man. Look, this is more than just a phraseology that we're going to espouse and repeat. 
It has to be the center drive of your being. Meaning that your every action, your every thought, your every emotion must be driven by the goal of helping others become great while not being considered great yourself. And we long to be part of that latter list of Hebrews 11. We want to be joining in the sum. They, others. That generic group that has our name not written for the eyes of men, but only written in the Lamb's book of life for the eyes of our King. Church, it's not only our highest aim to do this here, but to teach our generations to do the same. See, when we talk about making our brothers and making our descendants great, we're going to make them great because we're going to teach them now how to be the unsung heroes that they must be. Stand to your feet with us as we close. As we get before the Lord, uh, I'm going to give you some clear instructions here for our time as we close this service. Let this be a time just between you and the Lord. As you come to this altar, there's going to be one thing that we want you to focus on. Everybody say one thing. Ask the Lord to show you areas where you have been inwardly and outwardly seeking more than just 1%, but you've been seeking praise and glory. This is what the Lord is doing in our midst. He's allowing us the opportunity to have our actual heart refined by him today. When you rise up from this altar, there's going to be one thing. Somebody say one thing that we want you to immediately put into practice. You're going to anticipate and look for every opportunity to make your brothers great without expectation, need of a reward of recognition, of approval, of applause. You're going to look for ways to immediately put into effect what we've done. And when you do that, when you give to the Lord and rightly cleanse your heart of those areas that you've been inwardly and outwardly seeking praise, when you rise from this altar and begin to look for ways, look for opportunities to make others great without an expectation of what you'll receive, then, somebody say then, then you're going to find the joy of actually being unseen by men, but completely seen and cherished by God, living solely for the Lord's glory and for your brother's success. Mighty God, we thank you for what you are doing in our midst. Lord, move upon the hearts of your people that we may not take any glory for you, but that we may truly be unsung heroes.